0: Hello there, welcome to the Herbcast, the podcast from Herbal Reality, delving into the plant-powered world of herbalism. So do you know your echinacea from your eleutherococcus, or your polyphenol from your polysaccharides? Whether you're a budding herbalist, an inquisitive health professional, or a botanical beginner, Herbcast is here to inform and inspire you on your journey to integrating herbs in our everyday lives. So settle down, turn us up, and let's start today's episode of the Herbal Reality Herbcast.
1: everyone. I'm here with Nathaniel Hughes, who's a herbalist and runs the School of Intuitive Medicine, and he's a, a specialist in connecting with plants and, and deep inner healing. So welcome, Nathaniel. Great to be with you. And, you know, I think you wanted to talk about person-centered healing, so um, you know, what's your approach to
2: healing? And <laughs> is that, is that, is that you know, there going to be a big question? And you can... Yeah, yeah. Well, what I try and find words describe how I work and how the school operates it's it's a, the number one thing is relational we're looking at every single thing from a relational and a directly experiential perspective so it's like are you actually experiencing something in this moment with a plant or is this a concept that been taught you've read you've learned you've, you you've applied a framework and to be able to really discern between a precognition, and, and how that feels very different from a direct experience of a plant or of oneself. Our neurological defaults are to apply models that we've learnt, and those models are framed within language sets. Mm. And so our brain will want to, you know, it, it will apply a framework and a language set that frames and models things in a certain way. It's very powerful to have these conceptual systems. But the direction my work has taken is what is it to to keep coming back to the question, but what are you actually experiencing? What's happening in this moment? How do you experience this plant in this moment? What, What does it mean for you in this moment? Yeah, and the same with illness. So, so, for instance, somebody might be told or given a diagnosis of asthma. And, and that's a conceptual framework. It's a model within a diagnostic medical framework. And it might be that they never really think any deeper about what they're actually experiencing than the word asthma. That's possible. That That's the problem with the frameworks. They're rich and they serve a purpose, but they can also stop... Th- deeper inquiry. It's not to in any way find any fault with frameworks because they're powerful and, and, and their power exists within the limits of their framework necessarily. But it's to go to something different, which is the individual and the individual experience of themselves, of reality, of their world, of their bodies, of their healing process. That's the absolute core of my work. And I'm if somebody starts to go into a thought process, as opposed to an experience, I will keep. I will invite them to come back to. And what's happening right now? Mm. What's happening here in the space between you and me? What's happening in the space between you and this group? What's happening between you and your body? So, so yeah, I think I've taken a very strong direction of travel with my work for twenty years or so now. Mm. I
1: love the clarity, uh, Nathaniel.
2: I mean, <laughs> you. Uh,
1: you were, you trained first of all, didn't you, as a chemist and in uh, pharmacology, yep. is that right? And then you set up the School of Intuitive Herbalism and...
2: Uh, well, I, I did that first degree, then I went and did the postgraduate degree at Scottish school. Mm. So that was four years training as a medical herbalist. And then even from the start when I was practising, there was always an experiential aspect to what I did and bit by bit that just grew Hmm. until that became my entire work and teaching. And I I guess I still have that skill set as a medical herbalist and I'll still bring that in sometimes, but 90% of my work now is is from a relational perspective uh, and it it sort of works from a different standpoint.
1: And so it'd be great to explore that a bit more. I know you run these groups where you've got groups of people sharing experiences. Mm -hmm. And, and talk a little bit about when you're working with people individually like that, perhaps, if you'd like as well, how that fits into
2: that space. Well, again, the very first question is what's happening right now. Hmm. So, so, so obviously there's that need for some medical history, personal history. And as much as I can, I, I, I try and do that in advance, uh, or, or use a use a kind of a boundaried space for doing that because it's a different mode of consciousness. It's reflection, mm. it's it's drawing on pre existing narratives in some way. Mm. But but when we actually start to work, it's like, okay, where what's happening? How's your breathing? Where's your body? Mm. Do you feel your body? What what's here in the space right now? And if we're working with a plant, is how is this plant featuring in your reality in in this moment? I could I could I could give a actually I, I just remembered this 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 is quite a sweet example. So so this is somebody I'd I'd I think had come many years before as a client. So I, so I had some sort of history and a sort of client practitioner relationship, but I hadn't seen them for a long time and. We hadn't particularly gone into really deep work. It was a bit more like over-the-counter type prescribing. Anyway, so, so I hadn't seen them for years. And then then they had this really nasty injury. They managed to cut the tip of their finger off with a circular saw. It was the first time they were using this circular saw, I think. And, and poof, mm-hmm. yeah, they just misjudged it. It, it, it. They were tired. It was the end of the day. They were slightly rushing a job. It, you know, it's as it happens, that's when accidents happen anyway so so, so the, there's there's a couple of levels there there's a the physical injury and obviously this was pretty serious straight to A&E. it was too far gone to sew it back on it was it it, it was pretty mangled painkillers a whole lot so, so so in some ways the the physical medical side when I saw him this was a few days later w- w- was pretty much taken care of it was all it was bandaged up it was uh, However, it was clear he was still in a state of shock. And the implications of the accident were quite big. You know, is this going to affect his work, you know, yeah. self-employed, sole trader But I think more than that, confidence. Uh, so so, so as, as can often happen with an accident, there's quite a strong dis, uh, a shock reaction, w- w- which is a dissociative reaction from the body. In many ways people people disinhabit their bodies in a shock response and it can sometimes take quite a long while to come back and you know actually i'm, I'm talking about that's in this in quite an acute case here but actually the same applies even when that shock was 30 years ago and that that's actually quite core in my work is because we work so somatically is coming to a realization with somebody that they've dissociated from part of their body and part of their being and they maybe did this 30 years ago and they've never reassociated that they've never reintegrated. In some ways I could say that's actually pretty core cool to my work is, is, is a somatic reassociation through the meeting of the story and the, the, the memory and the trauma remembered in the, bo- the body and, and the plants being a, an ally in that reassociation. So 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 yeah, that's a little sidestep into my broader, my more typical work, but but but, but this was interesting because it was an unusually acute one. You know, this is very acute. Anyway, yeah, he came along. I sort of made an emergency appointment and sat down and, and was obviously quite shaky. And immediately, I just prepared a, a cup of rose. So so uh, it's, it's it's a good go-to, particularly with shot. Yeah, he sat down and, and as people tend to, you know, they're, 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 people tend to talk a lot. You know, they they tend to go into dialogue, into, into relating in a narrative dialogue way, verbal way. So I often have to encourage people, okay, take a breath. Okay, just let's, let's take a moment just to breathe, just to be here. And then redirecting his attention to the rose, this cup of rose, and just inviting him just to smell that, just to take that in. And... The effect was incredible. Within about 10 seconds, you could see him almost start crying and and just saying, it it reminds him of his grandmother. Mm. And what actually transpired over the next five minutes or so was that the space his grandmother held for him growing up was uh, the safest space for him growing up. That, that that was the place of nurturing and healing and being loved and restoration. You know, in a way it's it's when we feel safe, the parasympathetic kicks in and we start to heal. You know, so the sense of safety I see is really important. You know, so, so, so like he, he'd come in the room and like we were less than a minute in and he was already in touch with his grandmother through the rose tea. And effectively we, we spent the rest of the session just working with that. And how the sense of safety was impacted by this uh, injury, by this sudden shock, this reaction. How he could resource himself, how he could bring himself back into his body, and you know, of course, that has a big impact on healing. You know, you, you I'm sure, you, you heal a lot better when you're associated with your body than when you're disassociated. Mm. Yes, yeah, so 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 in a way, the, the themes all just presented themselves within the first thirty seconds, just like that. And, and that's quite an interesting thing. That the more I trust the herbs to take people where they need to go, the, the more that happens, and the more I get out the way and let the plants reveal what they need to reveal, mm. reveal the reflection in that individual, and then then I follow the strands, and and at that point I I don't necessarily know why that makes sense, you know. So, so, so there's a lot there's a lot I've had to learn about trust and faith in the process trust in the herbs that's a massive one trust in the herbs you know instead of trusting in my idea of the herbs or my idea of diagnosis my idea of assessment to trust in what's actually going on and and maybe that's something a bit surprising or a bit new to me but the challenge for me is to go okay well i choose to follow this thread i i don't know where it's going because because I don't know this person, I don't know their story, but but the plant is revealing something, and let's follow that thread. And without fail, that takes us down incredibly rich pathways. and And they're generally pathways of of, of reintegrating memories, of uh, reassociation with the with the physical body, a sort of systematic reassociation with a moving through layers of, of hailed tension and somatic trauma. that That's generally the sort of process in many ways. It's as if the plants will help uh, reawaken some some remembering within the body. So so I guess this goes right to the core of, and I think this is actually at the core of herbalism and naturopathy, is the body knows how to heal itself. let's just start from the premise that that most of the time the body knows how to heal itself so the question when somebody's not well is not how do we heal this for me the question is why is their body not restoring itself why is the regenerative capacity the innate regenerative capacity of the body not kicking in that has nothing to do with me that has nothing to do with my strategies and my ideas and my techniques that's entirely to do with them so 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 what i've come to see is 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 the more i can get myself out of the way and with that question is what, what what do you need what does your being need for your being to restore its innate healing capacity and and sometimes that might be quite a few steps away from the apparent symptom. Because in some ways, the the capacity of the body to regenerate itself and the expression of the symptom will be linked, but they're they're not directly linked. There might be 10 steps in between. And by really keeping the focus on what does this body need to reclaim its vitality, it takes me down very different pathways to what does this symptom or disease process need to alleviate or to manage or to bring it back into balance. Uh, they're, you know, they're both questions are valid, but, but they're different questions. And they will lead down different pathways. So,
1: yeah. The thing, there's a lot in there. That is a very um, uh, colourful and, you know, rich territory and a you know, fantastic story of something. <laughs> you know, it's so simple about someone being held in a, in a space and a simple cup of rose tea. Allowing that, <laughs> awakening or well, my remembering well, in a way and that, and that, and that safety.
2: Yeah. Well, in a way, that's the thing. Uh, we say simple, but the moment we bring a plant in, to my mind, we're, we're bringing in, I don't know, hundreds of thousands of years of evolution. There's nothing simple about any plant <laughs> that I, if, if I wanted to, I could probably build an entire practice based on rose. Mm because there's so much uh, Rose can show. But, but equally, I could say the same of Mallow or Hawthorne or, you know, it is it, like to, to me, each plant is is an almost infinite universe of potential. And, and the more you dive into each plant, uh, the more starts to unfold in front of you. So, so it's like, you know, at a first level of meeting, uh, often people might might bring a concept they've heard, you know, they've heard something or read something. Uh, oh, Rose is good for the heart. There you go, that, that, that's a way in. So, so, so you've got a first doorway. But if you really dive through that doorway and go, okay, so where's my heart in this? And what, what does good mean? And, and how does Rose fit into this picture? You suddenly got three doorways. Each of those three doorways then expands into another three, and expands into another three, and, and this is my experience. I've worked with the same plants for twenty years, and there's never been a class I've held or a meeting where I, I don't find it just as exciting as the first time. Hmm. There's never, there's never one instance when I think, "Oh, I've, I know that plant. I've, I've done that. You know, th- this is getting a bit boring." It, it, it just keeps on expanding. And there's something about the plants, what they hold, with, hold within them and their capacity to reveal reality to us in many ways that I do believe is is infinite. Uh, and, and we would just follow those strands. They would just keep on leading us deeper into effectively their experience of the world as mirrored through our relationship with them. Well, I, I
1: love the way that you invite people into that space. And the, and the plant into that space, and yourself. It's like it feels like everyone's got access to this more liminal space. I know that you, you, you talk about that sometimes, Nathaniel this liminal space, this sort of betwixt and between that we can move to through mm-hmm. dreaming or memory or uh, triggers from that's, senses.
2: That's true, yeah. And, and in, in a way, from a. Uh, uh, our our typical state of consciousness perspective, yeah, I would stand by that liminal, that word liminal, and I've used that a lot in my writing, and as in a way, the entering to the liminality is a way to step beyond our habitual ways of perceiving and thinking. I would almost reframe it the other way, that within the liminal is a deeper sense of the experience of reality and with our normal state of consciousness is actually something we've modeled and we've learned to model and that we're projecting outwards onto reality. So, 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 so the liminal is, is, is a deeper sense of being present. Mm. There's something that switched around over the years with me. It's around the ways our, our brain likes to form patterns and to model what we're experiencing rather than experiencing it directly. And that pattern will kick in so quickly. And, and in some ways, if you think about a newborn and how a newborn will experience the world without those neurological patterns, it's something of that I'm inviting in, is, is inviting in people to experience themselves from that newborn perspective mm-hmm. as, as, a, as a world of sensation and experience that, that, that doesn't need labels at this point. And, and, and a lot of possibility opens up in that space. So do you think that because
1: of how we've been brought up, our culture and things, that we are, um, you know, lacking an ability to have a felt sense of our experience of life? Or, or this becomes a way that we manage life, that we, we cut off from some of those mm-hmm. felt senses because they're too difficult to digest or, or, or metabolise
2: as such? I, I think there's a lot of complex reasons for this, and it's, it's not that we've lost it. Often people have numbed it, and I've never met anybody where, it, where it's not possible to unnumb it. But I think it gets numbed under a, a human created reality. If, in a sense, everything you're engaging with is a product of human imagination, What you're engaging with then is is a human-curated version of reality. And then, of course, your neurology is going to map onto that and become skilled in that domain. If you spent your time, instead of being on a computer, doing spreadsheets, for instance, if you spend that same time out in a wood, just being, listening, surviving, your senses your your awarenesses that relate to this thing we call nature would come alive again. So I think it's just a question of where we place ourselves and where we place our consciousness. So, so in some ways, I think we've somewhat digitized or industrialized our perception of the world, you know, there's this big movement of rewilding, but, but I think this goes very deep to a rewilding of consciousness. Mm-hmm. And the only way to do that is by going back to the trees, to the soil, to the land, to the sea, to remember, and and, and I think all of us do remember, it might be quite hidden. And it might be quite protected, there, there might be quite a lot of trauma around it. For sure, you know, there's, you know, I've experienced a lot of people who, who have deeply seated fears of of the wild and of nature, yeah. and and for all sorts of different reasons—cultural reasons—and uh, and also fears of their own experience of being told that their experience is wrong, that that, that uh, they should experience the world in a different way. You know, so, 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 so one of the first questions I often put to students at the school is, say, who here, when they were at school, was ever asked? How do you experience reality? How do you experience reality in in a genuinely open way? And of course, nobody puts their hand up for that question. And most people's experience was they were told how to experience reality. They were told this is this, this is that, this is this. But, but there was very little space for the question, how do I actually experience reality? What am I feeling? What am I f- sensing? What am I experiencing? So it's reclaiming that innate sense we all have.
0: Hmm.
2: I mean, it's very
1: personal. And really? what, what what do you do to help people reconnect or remember uh, you know in a clinical outside, you know, how do you encourage people to
2: reawaken that awareness? Okay, I mean it's very as you say, it's very individual. So so for me, the first thing is starting to clock uh, an individual's habitual ways of of relating and habitual modes of consciousness. Uh, and, and we do tend to be very habit bound. the way we think, the way we walk, the way we feel, the way we relate to our bodies is incredibly habit bound. And uh, so so I guess that first bit would be clocking the the habitual ways of being and then finding little openings into a different way of being. So 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 there might be a degree of of naming or challenging a thinking process, and then inviting a feeling process, for instance. That, that that would be one way. Or it might be, I mean of, 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 often the tendency is is thinking. That that's a lot of a lot of people's uh, dissociative process is related to the thing we call thought. So so it might be coming into the emotion an emotional awareness of their surroundings and themselves, or so it might be coming into a somatic awareness. So so we might we might go outside and lean against a tree. And I can tell, you know, the thoughts are really busy, all over the place. And I come into questions, okay, how does the tree trunk feel behind your back? And then giving space to really allow that feeling. And what will often happen is there would be a moment of feeling, and then it, it will shoot up into the conceptual realm. Mm. So, so like a microsecond of feeling And then a minute of analysing the feeling. That's not unusual. But that microsecond is like a doorway into into experiencing. So in a way, a lot of my work is about finding those doorways and keep on encouraging people to come back to that doorway. And that's what you think about what you're feeling. And what are you feeling? And what are you feeling now? And And what's your breath doing now? And what are your muscles doing now? And what's your body doing now? And what's happened to your mind now? Mm. So it's keep coming back to these questions, particularly around our somatic and emotional awareness. Sounds like a living
1: meditation where you're encouraging that awareness and presence you know, through all, all experiences in a way so that we can be aware of our habits to you know, deconstruct those uh, limitations in a way or blockages.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Yes. Yeah. I think. I think. I think. There's two. There's two parallel processes here. Uh, there is a degree of deconstruction, uh, and for sure, there's value in that. But but there is a limit to how much deconstruction works on a pragmatic level. It, that's balanced against the the construction of a different relationship with experience. So 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 you could say that so, say somebody has a primarily co- a conceptual way of relating to the world. It's gradually toning that down or turning the volume down on that, you know, through meditation, through deconstruction, whatever helps really, <laughs> turning the volume down on that and then turning the volume up on this. And so, so that the conceptual, the thought processes don't dominate the experience so much, but they come to a bit more of a balance and it, and it's possible to really get to a place of, I am experiencing this and I am uh, I am thinking this. So, yeah. so, so, a lot of the work is about discerning the thought process from the experience process.
1: And has that got anything to do with like a movement sort of you know, away from
2: discomfort
1: or tension or, yeah. um, you know, dis ease in a way, and more of a movement towards, shall we say, harmony, inner peace, and comfort? It's like you're constructing something positive rather than taking oh, down I- something.
2: No, no, that, that that's a really interesting angle, and I and I would disagree with that. I would say it's it's often a movement towards discomfort. <laughs>
1: <Yeah>. <laughs> that,
2: that actually, the, the the movement away from disco- discomfort is fundamentally dissociative, and the choice to move towards it is where there's a path of reintegration. It, it's not like moving towards some light-filled sense of harmony although of course it's lovely when that (laughs) when that comes it's actually a lot of the time the real work is moving towards discomfort is is moving towards the numb part of the body that somebody's not felt for years is moving towards a pain in the body is moving towards a a difficult memory in the body and this is where the plants come in because we we will habitually move away from discomfort and and that's a very deep uh response to to effectively numb things that are painful and in the short term that's probably really useful if you're still doing it 20 years later the usefulness has reversed it's actually damaging yeah so so it's the choosing to walk towards discomfort now now of course the problem then is you need to be resourced and have a toolkit and be supported enough to to do that journey. And so this is where having a whole set of resources in terms of meditation, a support structure in terms of people, community, a practitioner who can hold the process, a plant, and this is the key bit, a plant that can be an ally on that process of walking towards discomfort. So, so, so now when I work with people, uh, the plant might reveal something. But the actual work, the, the you could say that revelation is, 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 is just what it is, it doesn't necessarily mean anything, it doesn't necessarily have consequence. You know, uh, there's that well known book, uh, after the ecstasy, the laundry. So so it's like, okay, a first meeting might reveal a possibility. And it might also reveal a shadow and a pain it can it can do all of that. That doesn't necessarily mean anything unless you start to walk that path. And so I would then encourage people to work with that plant uh, over over a, a whole month moon cycle. With a clear intention, I'm, I'm revisiting this place in myself, and I'm taking the plant there with me. I'm, I'm letting the plant be an ally, be a guide, be a mirror in that place in myself. And, and the plants are incredible like that, that they're incredible allies. You know, so so for instance, you know, I, 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 I could never be like, a, uh, you know, a sort of healer or a psychotherapist without the plants. I, I couldn't do those because for me, there's such a human element. It's like, okay, so people come away from the session, you know, maybe they have a great session, but they come away from the session. And then what happens? And for me, if if I can then introduce them to say Rose, and then they can form their own relationship with Rose, not only do they have a level of support that isn't dependent upon me, but it also restores that sense of sovereignty with one's own process that doesn't develop into a codependency of a professional practitioner client codependency, which is quite endemic. You know, not only in the mainstream world, but also the alternative world is engendering codependent relationships. So, so I've had this question for a long time, how do you engender genuine sovereignty with one's own healing process, where I can turn up every so often to, to help keep them on track, to maybe act as a catalyst, to, to give a bit of support, maybe to poke things around a bit, whatever is needed of me as a practitioner. I, I can be there as a, as a bit of a human intervention once in a while but actually what if the fundamental process is between them and the plant and their body and and so that's what i'm trying to move towards always is is that sense of helping give people the toolkits and the confidence that that they can journey they can do this journey and they can then call in the support they need mm. to do that job
1: and, and does it feel like it's a a continual path because you you move towards the pain you know you're standing in the doorway this liminal space that's opening up some discomfort and you're you're holding Mm -hmm. that space and you've got you as your support and you've got the plants as your as your as your guide Mm
2: -hmm.
1: is there something about that process of the trauma you know diminishing and therefore this ability to feel a greater sense of ease or do you feel like it's something that you carry with you you just have a closer you know a, a less um, hidden relationship with
2: it? Oh, I mean, that, I think that's a really interesting question that, that is, is possibly unanswerable. I guess it, it feels to me like it's a question of does our trauma ever heal or do we just build a resilient, strong, positive relationship with it? I think what can happen is our secondary and tertiary reactions to our trauma can definitely soften and disappear. I think we can't change history. What has happened has happened. What we can do is massively resource ourselves uh, to rebuild different ways of relating to it and different pathways of behavior and even fundamentally different neurological pathways that then affect us in a myriad of different ways. You know, so, so, so there's a lot around neuroplasticity at the moment. It's, and I think it, it's such an important concept because I think it's when we get stuck in a certain framework of neurology that we also get stuck in a certain framework of perception of ourself and how we relate to the world. And if, if we can bring in that plasticity, if we can let that uh, reform itself in a different relationship, what once was trauma can turn into the most profound gift and I've seen that happen again and again and it goes from something that is terrifying and is is too scary to even look at to something that is almost as if it's not unusual that under every instance of dissociation from the body there's part of us hidden in there, there's part of us that has been dissociated or scattered and as we walk towards it the the reason it got scattered r- will reveal itself you know and obviously there's degrees of that you know in 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 w- w- where there's real serious trauma uh then i would be making sure that somebody has a whole team to support them you know like weekly psychotherapy trauma work the whole the whole lot you know there, there's degrees i think we all carry trauma in our bodies but there's degrees of it So so it starts off as something really scary uh, that we don't even want to look at, that that maybe we've even numbed, that we've even come to a space of not even knowing it's there, to then coming into awareness it's there and then coming into a relationship with the fear of it, then stepping towards it, and with each step towards it, something in it softens and releases and relaxes, and eventually moving to a place of of an integration, uh, a relationship with it, that doesn't cause a con- contraction in our being. So, so, so this is really important, that there's the, the trauma memory we hold in our bodies, but then there's the secondary response we, that we're doing every day to contract against that. And I suspect it's that secondary response that then causes us the harm yeah so if we can break that cycle so that we can go okay this is here this is in my story this is in my history you know i'm i'm sensitive around this this is vulnerable but we are able to step towards that we're able to ask partners friends for support in it instead of shutting it down that to, to, to me to me that, that that's quite a deep model of what healing is is, is a walking towards oneself and that, that's not walking towards what feels like light it's often w- w- walking towards what feels like really shadowy and difficult and that's you know that, that's why we need support to do it and and that's why it's really hard to do by yourself i mean you know some some meditation practices you know somebody who's really practiced in a s- solo practice to a degree can do that themselves but the moment you bring in human co-regulation and plant human co-regulation you're catalyzing that process massively. Uh, so, so, so I'm, you know, I'm a big believer in, in in both of those forms of co-regulation as necessary for for reintegrating ourselves with our bodies.
1: Mm. Well, I think they go so well together, don't they? Because they're focused on an internal awareness that you then apply in your expression of your life. You know, through your meditation, if it's that, you're you're you're, you're learning how to be aware internally of your feelings, your breathing, sensations, mm. you know, qualities of life, hot, cold, heavy, light, etc. Mm. And mm. I, um, I see that's how lots of herbs initiate that awareness as mm. well. They, they help give you a sensation of heat or a sensation of lightness or heaviness. Yeah. And you can therefore um, feel more attuned with uh, yourself potentially and then obviously there's a whole experience of spending time in nature that helps you feel a part of a greater whole and it -hmm. sounds like to me when you're talking with the care and compassion that you do about the 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 people you're working with and your your students and the plants that there's something about this interconnectivity that that there is Mm -hmm. a you know we're part of one big whole and there's a symbiosis with life that somehow our cultures left out of our, or a part of our cultures left out of life and so you're helping people open that door to rosemary or lemon balm or hawthorne
2: oh and, and, it, and it's a wonderful door to open it, yeah. it, what it you? You, you, <laughs> well, well completely it, 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 a metaphor might be that the consciousness has has been quite city-bound and surrounded by concrete and vehicles and there's a little window that opens, maybe into Rosemary. And that window opens to a whole world that is completely different. It's alive, and it's pulsing, and it has its own you know, millions of years of history within every movement. And it's, it's all there, and it's nothing to do with the human realm. Hmm. And, and it's like a window into that world. And I, and I think that's probably why uh, once that door is opened, it's like, wow. Mm. This, this is incredible. There is so much life there. There's so much possibility here. The, 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 I, want, I want to walk towards this more and more. And I guess the people who train with me, they feel that tug. Mm. They, they have that doorway opened and they feel that tug into deep relationship. You could say deep, magical, alive relationship with the living world. And, and then that, that becomes a vocation. That becomes an undeniable tug. And, and I'd say that's the case pretty much with all all the people in the school. Is is there's that feeling of necessity? It's mm-hmm. like I need I need to walk this path.
1: Yeah, yeah. I can I can totally hear how you inspire that and help open the door for people to get those experiences. Maybe you could just share a little bit about what some of those ways of working with the plant are. I know you mentioned a cup of tea, but what <laughs> a little, just for people that don't know, um, perhaps. People are used to taking a powder or a pill or a tincture or something.
2: How are some of the ways you might work? I I would say the first bit is put aside the powders and the pills and the tinctures uh, (laughs) because, because they're all secondary or even tertiary preparations of a plant. And as much as possible, go to the actual living plant. The way I come to understand it is all the plants, all of nature, is constantly speaking to us. I, I, it's constantly just being, radiating itself. The work here isn't to open a dialogue. If, if everything is already speaking to us, the, the, the problem is us. It's not the plants. The problem is us listening. Mm-hmm. So, so we have to find within ourselves the place that slows down enough, can feel enough in the body, particularly in the body, and I think this is so important, in the body to let ourselves experience the plant. So people who are new to this, one way I would encourage them to start is find two very contradictory woodlands. Uh, and the contradictory, different, sorry, no, I, I'm, not sure, I'm not sure woodlands contradict each other. <laughs> uh, <laughs> no, uh, two very different woodlands. Okay, so for instance, an oak forest, an old oak forest, and a silver birch woodland. Okay. Now, I'm sure many people listening to this can immediately feel the difference between these two. But but, but, but maybe somebody who's never really spent much time exploring this is not obvious at first. So, so go and sit for an hour in an oak forest. Just, that's it, just sit, lean against a tree, close your eyes, breathe. And then the next day, go and sit, lean against a silver birch in a, in, a, in a silver birch forest. And then start to notice how they feel different. Start to notice the difference in feeling between those two. This is a very reliable strategy, is contrast. If, if people just went to the oak forest, they might have lots of experiences, but it's hard to frame them because there isn't anything to frame them against. Uh, if you then contrast it with with another type of tree, it becomes easier to go, "Oh, actually, something felt so much lighter, and just the way the leaves moved, and the way the way the light played, and the brightness, and something about the air felt lighter in the silver birch." and Whatever it is, you know. And when I sat in the oak forest, it's like something in me went really quiet. It felt really quiet. I felt it's like it's like there's a low hum. I I could feel like I was in some somewhere ancient. That there was something going on that was far beyond me. It was older than me. You know, that's just an example off the top of my head. Mm. But but it's basically to really pair apart these experiences. And by starting to find expressions of them, and that could be words, I just use words there, it could be drawings, it could be movement. Well, it doesn't really matter. But by starting to find expressions, what you start to do is validate your experience. So there's something about having an experience and then validating it through creative expression. And even better, working with a partner uh, who can then co-regulate and validate your experiences mm. uh, through the human co-regulation, which I think is an essential step here. Because in some ways, the absence of that human co-regulation that validated our experience of the world is part of the problem. If if when we were growing up, there was somebody who took us to an oak forest, who took us to a silver birch forest, those, those experiential landscapes would just be normal to us. They'd be completely normal. But but often people didn't have that experience so if you can do this with a friend and for them just to witness you ju- just to hear you no, not to analyze not even to reflect particularly but just to hear okay that's what you experienced yeah that that was your experience and there's so much here about uh, trusting your experience and and knowing you know your experience isn't some sort of objective truth your experience is your ob- experience and, and this is where it gets into this interesting question about intuition. So when people start to come to a plant, I would, I would start on the basis that 95% of what they're experiencing is their projection. So 95% of what's happening is, is their projected reality experience as the plant. And, and within there, there's a tiny bit that is just of the plant. And the work is recognising what I'm generating in this field and what the plant is generating. So, so for instance, you might sit next to the oak tree and you your, your dominant feeling might be, oh, I feel safe. OK, it would be inaccurate to say oak trees make people feel safe. Hmm. That, 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 would be, that would be an extrapolation that's totally inaccurate. It would be true to say in this moment, I feel safe being next to an oak tree you know, you, you, you've you've put it in a temporal relationship in this moment, and you've owned it as your own experience. And that's the starting point is, is then there's a very slow process. And this is sort of why, you know, it's a four to seven year training I do of pairing apart, this is my experience, and this is the plant. And within my experience, there are probably some universals that a lot of people would experience, but it is fundamentally my experience. Within the plant, uh, they're something that everybody can come into relationship with, in a slightly different way. But but whatever angle they come at it, it's the same plant. And the threads uh, of of the common start to appear the more you work with a plant. You know, so I have the benefit. You know, with the plants I work with, I must have worked with a thousand people, each each bringing their perspective to a plant, and they're each coming at a different angle. So I often do this a bit like a Uh, you know the the image like of a clock you've got 12 people somebody sitting at each number each one is seeing the plant from a different perspective the perspective they see it from is massively guided by their life experience okay but they're still seeing the plant Yeah, they're they're probably mostly seeing their life experience as reflected by the plant but they're still seeing the plant now I I guess I I get the benefit of facilitating the space I get to hear all 12 Mm -hmm. reflections and within those twelve, the common themes start to pop out. You know, and and again and again, the same themes pop out and again and again and again and again. So, for instance, going back to Rose in this man who had the accent, his immediate connection was was grandmother. That's not that that's a reasonably common thing with Rose. And in a way, there's some degrees. At, to which it's a relatively surface level, because it might be linked to a perfume hmm. or something the grandmother used. But it, it doesn't matter what, what the reason is. But a lot of people, the grandmother uh, is is an association. And for other people, it's a very maternal. It takes them to something really maternal. For some people, it's something really uh, quite flamboyant and erotic, even. And then for some people, I'd say around 20%, it's something overwhelming and oppressive. There's a whole range of different perspectives there and each one is true to that person. But but Rose is at the middle of all of them. But as you journey into that perspective, what you start to do is unfurl the reasons why you've projected this onto the plant and what the plant has to show you within that projection. So, so, so in some ways, I'd say the process of developing intuition is about the discernment of projection from intuition. Mm. And that's a very slow process, because to know your projection is to know yourself. Uh, and that's, that's a lifetime's work. So. Oh, sounds like you have
1: very um, nourishing, rewarding, you know, challenging, challenging times in the group as you un, unravel and, and reveal you know, what's behind... Our um, a mask in a way that happens to be there and
2: a lot yes. of healing and um, yeah warmth comes from it one thing I'm talking about more now is I, I'm, I'm not neurotypical myself and so there's a I've come to a lot of understandings about about masking and in a way uh, as somebody who's not neurotypical both the extent of and the impact of masking and the invisibility of the, the perceptions of neurotype, different neurotype, are, are the, the, the masking is greater and the invisibility of the perceptions of that neurotype are more hidden because, because they don't fit in with a culture that's built on neurotypicality. And in many ways, I think the perceptions, particularly the uh, very, very high level of sensitivity a very high level of affective empathy, and also, yeah, ridiculously high level of somatic empathy, are, are key to the work I do. So it's it's coming into these realms of sensitivity that I think allows me to do this work, and my own challenge with existing within a more neurotypical world, an understanding of you could say the social performances we need to do to exist, and how far away they are from our actual experience of ourselves you know, that's, that's, that's a big part. And I think that's massively informed my, my teaching. But certainly the, the, the effective, uh, or, or something called the emotional empathy and the somatic empathy and incredibly heightened senses of those are very useful in my work. Uh, because it means I would I would notice a shift in somebody's body language and their tone of voice, you know, that, 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 you know, if I were to analyze it and I, and I don't analyze, it, 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 might, it might feel like sadness, for instance. But at that point, they're not aware of that sadness. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it becomes then very easy for me to ask them questions that then they find their way into whatever it is they're feeling. Uh, and, and I would never try and preempt that, I, I would just let the questions come. Just simply, they might be talking and I just notice something shift notice this little energy of sadness come in and then i might just just pause a second What, what what are you feeling just now and then they might go yeah uh grief or nostalgia you know i i don't know what their identification and their model of what they're feeling is everyone has a different language for their feeling states this is why i don't i'm very careful not to impose my interpretations but I let my perception guide the questions that help people go deeper into their experience of themselves. And there's a there's a very delicate thing here of inviting questions, uh, but but not closed questions. Mm. Uh, so it's questions that bring people into relationship, but not ones that then come to frame their relationship. And that's that's a whole nother level of the work. But uh, but but what particularly interests me is the somatic. And And that somatic transference, which is linked to you know high level of somatic empathy, is is very strong in me. So for instance, this is this is quite a light example. Every, every day in classes we, we start with half an hour movement and dance. I have fun being a DJ for half an hour. <laughs> <laughs> it's great fun. I, I, try, I, try, I try and as much as possible move people through every emotion with with the music if we can. Uh, and it acts as a certain movement coming into the body, cathartic. It's, it's got all sorts of purposes. But almost every time, uh, about five minutes in, I'll be, please, everyone, start breathing. <laughs> because, because my transference is so strong, I feel I have to breathe for the whole group hmm. because people have gone into their movements and their dance, but they've sort of shut down their breathing. So I go, ah, breathe. And suddenly the transference drops in me. So so I think I, I work with my transference massively as a way of guiding the work. And and at a deeper level of training people, it's about working with their own transference and counter transference as a way for going deeper into what's happening in the session and their own process. So so yeah, there's a lot of working with, with deep empathy and sensitivity there. Well we can hear it
1: in abundance, uh from <laughs> Daniel, that you've done so much practice and experiential work to refine and um yeah become more finely tuned yourself to what you're what you're feeling and so therefore able to help so many other people Um, i think
2: i think it's interesting the fine tuning is is actually a lot about allowing and and not analyzing it's the, the challenge for me is to keep on dropping into what's happening as opposed to what do i think is happening Mm. so so you could say that the the work is to keep stepping towards the i don't know keep stepping towards the mystery and trusting that something is going to unfold in that next step in darkness and 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 there's a real joy in that actually and it's it is a discipline and it's a practice to keep stepping towards what's not known as opposed to what is known but but it's a it brings a lot of life into the work. For sure, it keeps it very alive. Mm.
1: Well, I love this uh, living in the liminal space, really, and how that keeps one, uh, yeah. you know, present.
2: Really, to the liminal the reality. <laughs> the world.
1: Um, and also the, you know, this passion about the plants will teach us this trust that the there is a, a, yeah. a, a, a heart, a, a you know, wisdom there, some insight, and so we could talk for ages uh you know you i i've really enjoyed uh speaking with you i've been lucky enough to be able to sit here and listen and (laughs) if anyone hasn't read um uh, nathaniel's book that he wrote with fiona owen weeds in the heart then you've got to do it because it's definitely one of the (laughs) most beautiful books ever written about uh possibilities within Within connecting with nature and herbalism so yeah we'll, we'll... yeah And the,
2: the project we're working on at the moment is a set of a, a set of cards of fiona's paintings there's like uh we've got 34 of these uh it, it's a slow process oh there's there's, there's a primrose one in there mm, you know, of the, course the, um, proofs so we need... so i mean for, for me it, the main interest is for helping people commit to and journey with a plant you know, so, so that you might decide to work with primrose and you put that up on your wall or next to your bed. And it's a constant reminder to keep coming back to, okay, so, so what's primrose showing me today? And almost to use them a little bit like somebody might use a statue of a Buddha or an icon in a church, that it's a way to refocus refo- and discipline your meditation practice with the plants. So yeah, so quite excited to be sort of uh, building this, this sort of I guess there's something that helps people focus because developing developing that discipline and focus is is a big part of the work. Not not getting too scattered, mm. and and you know say deciding to work with primrose and then just sticking with it for for a chunk. And and that sticking with it allows people to drop through the layers. Whereas if you get distracted and then start to work with a different plant, you you can end up quite superficial relationships with a lot. But you never drop so deeply. So, uh, mm. yeah. So I'm quite excited. To...
1: I'll be going to reflect on my uh, many years of studying the materia medica of China and uh, <laughs> Asia and Europe. Um, but I love the way that you give a tool to practice because I think yeah. uh, you know this journey of healing, of wellness, of optimization is obviously continual, isn't it? And so the fact that you have this like priceless gift really that people are offered in, in a way of learning how to. Tune in, listen uh, with with plants, with with other you know body work, with these other other ways you're you're working. Um, it's fascinating yeah, to hear. We... So, well, um... I mean,
2: I, I really enjoy it. You know, it's it's it feels such a privilege to, you know, that that, that my work is my passion. You know, and 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 I think a, a spiritual path as well. Mm. It just it feels it feels it, it's what I would do if it wasn't my work anyway. So, so you know that that feels such a privilege to, to be able to, to to live like that. Yeah, mm. Thank you. Oh,
1: great! Thank you so much, Nathaniel. Real treat to be with <laughs> you. You you speak so eloquently and uh, clearly about it. Yeah, really fascinating. So,
2: um, hope you enjoyed that too as well. Thank you. It's it's always yeah, I always like kind of like getting enthused about what I do and it's like every conversation I get a bit clearer about what it is I'm doing as well because you know a lot of times uh I I, I'm stepping into the unknown myself I I don't even know what what it is Mm. that's gonna happen next week so so opportunities like this give me a chance to land it a bit as well Mm. well
1: I I hope that it leads to you know I'm sure it leads some interest in people coming to you coming to the course and I certainly hope so <laughs> and, um, oh,
2: oh. yeah it's a very it's a very eclectic group of people you know, all such a range of people who come and that's you know that that's something I, I really love that uh, uh right from the outset the idea was that people would come out with their unique style of practice that, that there wouldn't be a strong style of practice because each person has a different journey and each person would have a find a different way of sharing the plants. And, and, and some of it might be, you know, in a more sort of conventional clinical type way, but some of it might be a, a, a bit like Fiona, sharing through her paintings mm. and inspiring people that way, mm. you know, and everything in between, uh, from holding groups to somebody really developing a movement. Uh, she, she's a professional dancer and a movement in nature, and bringing the plants into that no so so for me the passion is each person finding their individual expression and then finding how to share that in a in a professional capacity yeah.
1: with with the plants seems to always be a, a doesn't have to the be plants, everybody plants, but yeah. they're a they're a key part of your work well, well, that,
2: well that's that's why i insist on when people want to start training is that they have an intention to share their love of the plants mm-hmm. with others Mm. And, and how they do that i'm not bothered about you know th- th- they probably don't know themselves at that point but a few years later it starts to take form yeah. uh, but, but but that's that's the guiding principle just just to, sh- to, to want to share the plants in some form with others to, to 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 open those doorways to other people
1: well i think all herbalists want to do that and obviously a much wider range of people that might not call themselves herbalists are uh, a uh, uh, doing that naturally and and I I know you're a bit of an advocate of of broadening what a herbalist how it's perceived and what it is because there are many forms of that aren't there in a way there are many ways of living a life very connected with plants where you don't have to be in clinical practice or anything like that
2: uh, yeah and that that's actually a really big question we're, we're working with is this whole spectrum of practice and then establishing different competencies relating to different outcomes uh, because of course somebody who wants to work in a very medical way is going to need different competencies from somebody who's who's mostly working with dance so so yeah it's something we're really developing is quite fluid and flexible sets of competencies for different outcomes of different people yeah that that feels quite exciting you know it feels like a genuinely deeply student centered where both the outcome and the competencies and even the assessment pro- approaches are different because they're there to serve the student as opposed to the idea of what it is. Mm. And that you know, takes a lot of work. It takes a heck of a lot of work and a lot of mm. fluidity. Mm. But I guess that's one of the advantages of being sort of quite a small school is it's possible to shift and change and adapt and evolve in response to what people bring quite quickly. Mm. Mm. Well, I look forward to seeing it
0: continue to flourish and evolve. You've been listening to The Herbcast the podcast from Herbal Reality. We hope you enjoyed this episode. If so, perhaps you'd like to leave us a rating. That would really help us to spread our message for herbal health. We hope you'll join us again for the next episode. And in the meantime, if you'd like a few more herbal insights from us, do have a look at herbalreality.com. or will learn more from us via Instagram, where we're at herbal.reality. And we're on Twitter and Facebook too. And we'll be back with another episode of the Herbcast soon. Thanks for joining